0: Hello and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Daniel M. Lavery. And with me in the studio this week is Nico Stratus, a freelance culture writer whose work has appeared in outlets like Spin, Bitch, Extra, Catapult, Autostraddle, and more. Her work primarily focuses on culture, the 1990s, queer and trans topics, and as often as possible where all those ideas intersect.
1: Nico, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so, so glad to get you here today. Uh, I feel like we've got a wonderful uh, spectrum of questions that people can have, just just really running the gamut. Um, and so I feel excited to hopefully make their lives a little bit better.
1: I mean, fingers crossed. If I don't make your life better, please send me a self-addressed uh, envelope and I will do what I can to uh, improve your, the, the situation. I'll go ahead and read our
0: first letter if that's all right with you.
1: That works for me. The subject is excessive
0: or reasonable. I've been seeing my partner for about 5 months. We're both non-binary and in our mid 20s. We've been exclusive for about a month, although we're open to non-monogamy. I'm really happy to have found a partner who shares my values and interests and is also very communicative and goes to therapy, etc. We also both support one another's independence, which is important to me, but I'm starting to think we're a little too independent. Sometimes I feel a bit isolated or even single. I love to be surrounded by people and would like to see my partner often. My partner needs more alone time, and I'm glad we're both attuned with each other's differences. We have frequent about bi-weekly check-ins to discuss what's working and what feels challenging. Recently, I've said that I'd like receiving a bit more attention and to spend more time together, while they said they felt pressured to give me attention and really need their alone time. I want to respect that, and I try to keep busy with my friends, but I still can't help but feel sad that my partner doesn't want to see me on a weekly basis. Right now, we've agreed to see each other mainly on weekends, and they said that they want more weekends to themselves. I feel needy for wanting more time together than that, but I think it's necessary. I just want a partner who would miss me too much to only see me every other week. Of course, I know that's not always possible, but I'd like that as a general rule. Does this mean we're incompatible as primary partners? I've considered non-monogamy, but I still think I'd want this from my primary partner, and I don't think I'm interested in dating multiple people right now. Should I try harder to be more independent? I'm open to taking this as an opportunity for growth, but I've been trying to adjust to their schedule and needs, and it's only made me feel sad, a bit neglected, and honestly less interested and excited about this partnership. However, I do admire and love them and want this to work out. Help. I mean, gee whiz. (laughs) I'd be insulted if I'd been dating someone for five months and they didn't want to see me every weekend at the least. I, I, you know, I, I want to join the letter writer in their warmth and respect for this person,
1: but good lord! You know, in the opening bit of the letter, there's a they reference that their partner shares their, you know, their values and everything, and then pretty much that's the last time we kind of see their partner really respect their values because it kind of seems like their partner might just be saying, "This is how I want to operate." And then they're just sort of expected to go along with it as opposed to, you know, like, I appreciate that they're doing check-ins, especially early in a relationship. Those stuff that is important. But, you know, if this is what you want from your primary partner and you're not getting that, it kind of feels like they're not fully respecting your values.
0: Right. Or just like if you have biweekly check-ins and you only see each other about once every week and now your partner is saying, I'd like to do a little less, you'll only have check-ins. You'll see, you'll have like a state of the union every two weeks. And then your partner's like, well, goodbye until then. And that sounds untenable. Um, it's just a series of performance reviews. Exactly. It's nothing but performance reviews. There's hardly any room for performance. So it can just be like, well, in our last performance review, I really liked the way that you brought up subject A, but I wish that you'd done so while also incorporating subject B. Okay. See you next week
1: or sorry, two weeks from now. Two weeks from now, we'll see you back in my office in a fortnight and we'll discuss how things have improved.
0: Yeah. And, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm sure they're a lovely person and I'm sure there's other slightly hermit type people who would hear this and say, my God, that sounds amazing. Um, please give me the lover who I only have to see, you know, four to five days a month. And then I can, you know, conduct my life uh, along uh, single lines the rest of the time. Great. I want them to find this person. I don't want this for you. Um, And frankly, I think you're you're likely to find a lot of people who are way more in line with your way of thinking. Like, I think you will be spoiled for choice if you say, ideally, I'd like to date someone who wants to
1: see me several nights a week. Ideally, I'd like to date someone that wants to see me. Is like kind of where that, you know, it's, I was reading this and I was thinking about, cause look, like my partner and I, my partner is an introverted person by nature. She prefers to be at home more than out. And, you know, and I'm a bit more extroverted and I like to go out. So, you know, like when we do go out, we have a, we talk about it before and we have a system and we say, okay, like if, and when you're feeling uncomfortable, let's, let's figure it out and let's make a plan. But like, you know, it's a plan we make together that both of us agree to, as opposed to like, this is how I want to operate. And then we'll do a performance review. Uh, which again, I just keep going back to that. Like, well, we do a biweekly check-in, but we also never see each other, which just sort of, it's, it's just like, it's, it feels like a job I had when I was a teenager and my boss was never there, but he would come in and yell at me for doing a bad job. It's like, well, how would you know? You're never here.
0: Yeah. I mean, at, at least this person's not yelling at the letter yeah. writer, but like, the, you know, that's it. You you got like a deadbeat dad for
1: a partner. Congratulations. You were, you were dating, you're dating a deadbeat dad. I mean, They do sound like it sounds like they have a lot of love and affection for this partner. And it's a new relationship and those are always tricky too, right? Because you're you know, you're figuring each other out. And some people take a while to open themselves up as to who they are and what they want. And but it does seem like they have good communication. And if in within that communication, they're not figuring out how to make the situation work so they both feel good. Like you wouldn't write this letter if you were feeling good about the state of your new relationship. And in a new relationship especially, I mean, that's when that's when all hands off deck, you know, we're just trying everything out and it feels fun and great. And like, it sh- it, it, I don't know. To me, it just feels like this is already, this is causing enough stress that you wrote a letter and that's never a good sign.
0: Right. And like, I, I just, I absolutely take this letter writer at their word that their partner is like a nice, thoughtful, good person. I, I believe it. I just, there's no... There's no reason to stick around and try to negotiate. You'd like to see me every other weekend. I'd like to see each other four or five days a week. There's there's no compromise in the middle that's reasonable and that would make the both of you happy. This does not fall under the rubric of sort of like, everyday garden variety bumps that um an otherwise like excellent couple uh might encounter during the first few months of the relationship this is absolutely just like we are not suited for one another in the long term what would make me happy would make you feel absolutely hounded and what would make you feel happy would make me feel like like the last lighthouse keeper in the world and there's just no reason for the two of you to make each other unhappy like that
1: yeah, and it's, hard, it's you know, that hard realization of, like, you're both, they both are probably very lovely people. They the, the letter writer sounds lovely. The person they're talking about sounds lovely. And it's the, it's the crushing realization of, like, just because we're both lovely people doesn't mean we work together as a lovely couple, regardless of what that couple situation is, whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous or, or whatever. You know, sometimes you just can't make a pairing work, and that's a really hard realization to come to. Right. Right. And I think especially when you have that sort of one-two punch of, I think
0: this person is a generally good person, uh, you know, and I I don't want to break up with someone if I think they're good. Uh, And then also, does non-monogamy basically mean you never break up with anyone? Does that just mean anytime something's not working out, you just say, well, I'll go find somebody else to add to the roster and fix that problem? Is that what it's for? And, you know, Mm -hmm. by God, it can be if you want, like every time you get annoyed at a new partner, you want to go get a second one, um, throw them onto the the Barbie and see what happens. You can, but it certainly doesn't sound like what you're feeling is. I'm really happy with how this relationship is going. And I'd like to add something else so much as, you know, I feel really, really, really lonely and I don't really want to date other people, but like, am I morally obligated to try because the best thing you can do in life is avoid a breakup? No break up with people it's a good and necessary and important thing
1: they should be like abortions safe legal and happening constantly (laughs) all the time and everyone should feel totally comfortable doing it and safe doing so yeah literally they should be happening a lot because it doesn't necessarily mean go
0: move to the moon i hate you never look at me again it often just means we need to stop dating and maybe in a few months we'll be pals but who knows let's leave that for the future
1: yeah yeah, this doesn't work for me and it doesn't make me feel good and it actually makes me feel quite bad so I can't continue to do this.
0: Yeah, if if anything, letter writer, because I just feel so straightforwardly about like, yes, break up. I think my strongest advice here is when you say I feel sad, a bit neglected, honestly less interested and excited about this partnership, you should go straight to so we should be breaking up you should not be going to maybe this is an opportunity for growth maybe i haven't thought of something else if you are this sad about a relationship i want you to like cultivate a practice of listening to yourself respecting your own feelings and taking them seriously and i don't mean to chide you like oh you you should have done this last month i just you sound really clear and i think that if anything you're maybe the type of person who says if i don't feel good about something maybe it means i'm not trying hard enough Um, I'm not being agreeable enough. Uh, I I haven't thought of enough creative solutions to fix my problems. Um, And I just think, you know, if this were anything besides a breakup, uh, like if this were about, you know, uh, I'm sleepy, I'm tired, my eyelids feel heavy, and I wish I were in, you know, slumberland, you know, the answer to your problem would be, I'm going to go to bed, I'm going to take a nap, or I'm going to go to sleep for the night. And I think this one is as clear cut Um, it's just not about sleepiness. It's about breaking up with someone. And so I would say, take the many clear signals that you are receiving from yourself and go do the obvious thing, uh, and trust yourself.
1: I think we're somehow trained to not listen to ourselves or to think that you know, like you said, all those things you you can list out all those reasons and say, but what if I'm still the problem, even though you've prior you've listed all the ways in which you personally don't feel good. And instead of you know it's easy to make yourself the problem, and I think that's a really easy thing that a lot of us do is if we're if something isn't working out and in a situation where we want it to, then we must be the problem as opposed to sometimes situations just don't work out, and it's not a person's fault. It's just a you know compatibility issue or whatever.
0: Yeah, I I really do think and I don't think this has always historically been the case and this might be one of those rare occasions where I do think like previous generations maybe sometimes had a better handle on it than than we do now. Like I feel like in the Nancy Drew books for example, like she's always got like eight new boyfriends and she's always dumping one and like seeing another guy and it's just kind of like that's what you do. That's what dating is. You try a lot of people on, see what works. You don't go out with them again if you're not having a good time. I don't I don't want to say like live your life like Nancy Drew, but You know, I I think now there's sometimes more of a sense of like breaking up with someone is slightly rude Um, and like maybe at best you're getting away with it and you should really only save it for when someone's been a real jerk Um, or when you're just like crying in the ground miserable. Um, And that's just not the rubric that you should be holding yourself to. You should just be like, I'm not having a good time. We don't seem compatible. That's it. Breaking up.
1: I will say that I do think you should be li- living your life like like Nancy Drew, though. And if there is a case involving like an old clock or maybe an old house, you can also invest some time in that. Yeah, but yes, I agree with you one hundred percent. Otherwise,
0: yeah, yeah. There's plenty of things that she did that I would not advise people to do, uh, especially as it pertains to Bess and George. But um, we don't have time for that. So I think I feel ready to move on. Letter writer, I want to hear back from you soon, and I want to hear that you've broken up with your partner
2: Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R A M P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
0: Would you, Nico, please read our next letter, which just as a heads up to everyone, is really heavy. We're we're switching gears. We're we're moving from something sort of lighter to something a lot heavier.
1: Yes. Well, this comes to us with the subject of conditional love. Um, and again, uh content warning. Um, I don't know what to do. My son, in his early 20s, has been accused of rape and has admitted to it. He says he made a mistake because of peer pressure from his friends. He has been expelled from graduate school and sent back to us. I admire the courage of the young woman who brought this to light, but I don't know how to talk to my son or even to look him in the eye. I've always assumed that those parents who sometimes turn up on the news, standing by their children after terrible crimes, have a parental instinct that overrides their other values. I don't. I'm horrified to learn that there is a deal-breaker for my motherly love. I realize the way he was raised must play a factor here. I couldn't feel worse about failing in that way. I am a survivor myself. And while he's young, he's certainly plenty old enough to know the difference between right and wrong. We made a point of talking about autonomy and consent with all our children from a very young age, and we talked about sexual violence and coercion as they grew older. Our older boys seem to understand this lesson quite well because they now want nothing to do with him. Our oldest has denounced my husband and me too because he won't associate with rapists or apologists. My husband and I feel a parental obligation toward our son, but we internally agree with our other boys. Sometimes I wonder why we're even paying for a lawyer, especially since no one is debating whether he did it, just trying to determine whether it's a crime worth punishing legally. It's not as if I think the American legal system is especially good, But what's the alternative? Can you please talk some sense into me so that I can be the supportive parent that he needs, or tell me what I can reasonably do if my husband and I have found the exception to what we thought was unconditional love?
0: I feel so much, you know, for this letter writer. And I also feel like a slightly, I don't know, winsome note of I think the letter writer, you know, my guess is if they listen to the show, they're somewhat familiar with my own background. And so there's something sort of like sweet about, you know, can you please talk some sense into me so I can be the supportive parent that he needs? Knowing that, like, the spoiler here is like, I am not in a supportive or otherwise relationship with anyone in my family. So uh, I don't know that I'm going to be able to give you that. Um, although, certainly, I want to be able to provide you with as much help and support as I can, letter writer. But yeah, I just kind of noticed uh, what's going on here. Um, yeah. I think I do want to start actually with that question because I do think this is this is an important thing to untangle, which is either help me become supportive as my son needs or help me figure out what I can do reasonably if there is truly an exception to this question of unconditional love. And I realize it can sound really trite. Uh, to say, like, love's not just something you feel, it's something you do. Like, oh, thanks, no one's ever thought of that, problem solved. But I do really, really want to encourage you, letter writer, to think of um, behaving uh, lovingly or respectfully, you know, or 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 even just um, with basic human decency does not have to look like feeling love for your son, now or ever um you know no one's asking you at least right now to uh take a lie detector test about whether or not you feel love for him so i realize that that doesn't take away you know uh, relevant feelings of like guilt or tension i just i really want to stress that um you might very well decide to take action that you believe is best for the person that you hope your son can someday become and that doesn't mean that loving means making things easier for him and not loving him would mean making things harder for him. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot at play here and and I had that same thought when I was reading that as well. And I also think there's something that factors in that comes up a little bit earlier as well when the letter writer writes about, uh, realizing the way that he was raised must play a factor and immediately sort of putting themselves in the position where they, uh, are there to take some of the blame, which is, you know, like part of that parental role in protecting your child is even while being aware that this is a thing that their son has done, saying, well, I must play a part in this situation and taking some of that the blame and the burden of responsibility, and putting it on their own shoulders. Where you know their son is old enough to be at graduate school, their son is old enough to be aware of their own actions and to take responsibility for them. And it, it, I don't think it has to be the responsibility of the parent to say, "I did something wrong," when by all accounts they did nothing wrong. They had not. This situation has nothing to do with them. And at the same time, you know, I understand it being a conundrum wherein. You know they have to decide what do we do? Do we do we cut this person off? Do we side with our other sons who who want nothing to do with their brother, uh, and which is within their right to do so? And and you know I would be hard pressed to not be in that same situation if I was in those shoes. But you know, like you said, there's a difference between you know love as a as a feeling and love as an action. And and how do you s- provide support if that is a thing you feel obligated to do? Because um, it you know I read a lot of this feeling of obligation throughout this letter. I don't know if if you're sort of picking that out there as well. Oh, very, very much. Yeah. And, you know, like the fact that there's an admission of guilt and, you know, this idea of like, why are we paying a lawyer if if he's already admitted to having done it? um, You know, that's not a question for me to answer, obviously. But like, it sounds like you have already sort of started to come to terms, letter writer, with your son has done this horrible thing and that he has admitted that he is guilty uh, and is, Trying to find a way to take responsibility for it, and you know, like maybe that is the only role you can take is to help them find that way to take responsibility for it into whatever whatever recourse that takes. I mean, like they say in the in the letter, the American legal system is not the greatest system in the world, um, and historically in these cases, justice is never really in favor of the victim you know, the victim isn't really in this story so much as, you know, like there is a mention of, I'm proud of the young woman for speaking up, but otherwise, you know, it's, the victim isn't really in the situation in in the limelight here. And, you know, it's, it's a loaded thing. I read this early, I, you know, I've been thinking about this one (laughs) a lot and I'm not entirely sure how to properly counsel this, this parent that wants to show this, uh, support while, you know, trying to figure out if they love their son or not.
0: Yeah. Um, Uh, No, absolutely. So the first thing that came to my mind, Letter Writer, was that, especially given that you mentioned that you are yourself a survivor of sexual violence, um, I I would really strongly encourage you to find a support group. Um, I know therapy can often be individually helpful, and obviously you can feel free to dismiss this if it doesn't sound good to you. But I think given how much of this feels really isolating and how kind of alienated you feel from both the idea of a role as mother and from potentially other people in your life who might be able to provide you with useful counsel, um, I would encourage you to look for a support group near you for people who have you know experienced sexual violence and who are also dealing with uh, a loved one who has committed sexual violence. Um, I, I can suggest one, it's called Hidden Water um, they have different kind of circles um, with different sort of color coding depending on um, each person's relationship to sexual violence. So there's some for people who are um, victims and survivors of sexual violence; others for people whose loved ones have have committed um, sexual violence. It's free. Um, they start periodically throughout the year. They they last for about twelve weeks each. Um, I don't want to like give a like. I, I, I was can't guarantee your personal experience there, um, and you might want to also do research on other support groups um, that might be more local to you or start at a more convenient time, but I think it would maybe do you a lot of good, especially because being the parent of a child who has committed sexual violence is not something people often share, even with close friends. Um, So my guess is that this is not something you have heard a lot of other people talk about and it might feel incredibly isolating. Like it's just me out here or like the only other people I can think of in this position show up on the news and, and I don't know them. And so I think that might be really useful for you to just get the support that you need. Um, because you are going through something immense right now and, and i want you not to be alone in that so that would be i think my first point of order as well as um, you know seeing a like trauma competent therapist ideally for yourself um you say that your son has admitted it he's said he made a mistake because of peer pressure um, i don't know if any of those friends were also participants i don't know if any of them are also facing charges um i don't i don't know whether or not you have Discussed the possibility if he has admitted it to the possibility of pleading guilty. Um, I say all that again, like you, letter writer. Uh, it's not that I think that the perfect final um, way of redressing sexual violence comes from the criminal justice system, but certainly it seems to me like if he has admitted it to you, that should be a topic of potential conversation with both your son and his lawyer. Um, it might also be important for you to discuss with your husband the possibility of not paying for a lawyer and to again these are just ideas that you are talking through you are not committing yourself to any one thing or another you know uh i think you need to be able to talk about that possibility um you are not under like an implacable obligation to pay for a certain type of lawyer and if you feel like if I were paying for a lawyer and he were pleading guilty, that would feel like one thing, because that would look like, to me at least, a sort of beginning of, of taking responsibility and, and being prepared to face some consequences um, in that position. I, I would feel prepared to pay for a lawyer because I feel like it would be in the interests of you know, navigating what happens after a guilty plea, but not otherwise. That might be a possible outcome. You, you know that if the lawyer does stop working, the court will appoint a lawyer for your son. Um, and so I think that's part of why I just want you to feel like this is not an inevitability. It's not like if I don't pay for this lawyer, there will be no lawyer. Mm -hmm. Um, again, I realize you are not navigating a perfect system, but like there are plans in place if you stop and you do, I think, have the right to stop. Um, I would encourage you again, talk about it with your partner, consider, uh, what that might look like, how that might feel to you, but you really do have freedom here to stop and say, you know, I committed to something earlier in, you know, in one particular kind of dazed state of mind, and now I want to take stock and consider whether I want to continue doing it. You are entitled to do that. None of that means either that you are eternally committing to saying, I don't love my son, you know, to, to the pit with him, uh, or I'm going to start feeling love for him again tomorrow. I just really want you to not worry about how you feel about your son right now. Um I can't imagine anybody saying, you've got to figure out whether or not you love him in the next five minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. And in fact, I I just, yeah, I want you to feel really free to say, if only to yourself, I don't love him right now. And I don't know if I ever will again. That is okay.
1: I had this this flash in my head of, you know, depending on the letter writer's feeling, on You know, restorative justice or reformation or any of those sorts of things, and like, if the letter writer has this hope and this ideal that you know maybe that their their son can you know get through this and can atone for his actions and take real responsibility. I'm, the the phrase of, I was peer pressured into it kind of makes me feel like he's only taking kind of partial responsibility, included with the letter writer saying, I feel partially to blame. You know, there's a lot of the responsibility of the action itself um, feels sort of nebulous at times throughout. And, and I worry for the letter writer that, you know, she might be taking on a bit of that responsibility herself, which might partly be informing this desire at the end to, you know, be part of this stage of the process. And, you know I do want to also say that you know you don't need to be part of that process and it doesn't mean you don't you know love your son until the end of time it just means that you also need to, especially as you also mentioned, you know there is reference to being a survivor themselves so like you also need to prioritize your own mental health and well-being throughout this process and you can take mm-hmm. a step back and you can let this system play out and you can hope that your son you know goes through it and does the work that he needs to do himself. Um, and take resp- real, true responsibility for his actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can see what the future holds. You don't have to decide the future right now because that is not a thing that is any of our ability to control. Unfortunately, we don't know what tomorrow looks like. And it is really hard to make that decision because if you say you're on your own, the courts will look after you um, or whatever and take that step back, you know, the, I'm, I can't even begin to imagine how that feels as a parent uh, or as a, and as a mother of a, of a child that you know you raise to be a certain way um but if that's what you have to do, then that might be what you have to do. You know, there's mention of the oldest denouncing the husband and the letter writer because he won't associate with rapists and apologists. And, you know, like I also worry about their relationship with the rest of the family based on this and losing connection to their other sons and what that looks like. Like there's a lot at play. And I just like you like you said as well, you know, I really hope this letter writer is able to prioritize their own needs in uh, their own mental health, and is, and to have a real conversation with themselves about what they need, um, because right. so far in this letter, I'm not really reading them say, "What do I need in this situation?" So much as that, like parental role of, okay, well, I'm going to jump into the pit with you, and we are going to figure this out. And like, you don't have to jump in right away; you can you can wait, and you can see how this plays out.
0: Yeah, I also was really curious about um, the conversation with the eldest, and 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 like you, Nico. I mean, I share. Again, I, I understand that when you are somebody's parent, there are ways that you will likely feel um, uh, implicated in, in their behavior, whether or not you believe that to be rationally the case. But letter writer, I would just, you know, I think on some level, you know this, but it's different to kind of know something where versus like feel it deep in your bones. Um, I'm, I'm sure both that there are ways that you failed as a parent in, in the same way that everyone fails as a parent. And also, at least based on what you've shared here, you had meaningful frequent conversations with all of your children um, about consent and autonomy and about sexual violence and coercion. And I wish that that meant that you had children who never did that. But there's also just the simple truth that when you raise a child to adulthood, to your early 20s, they also, you know, around that a few years earlier, they begin to, to take ownership of their own lives and their own moral agency. And so it's not simply as if you were a robot where you're supposed to input good parenting and then good behavior comes out. He also became a full moral agent of his own um, and so again, I realize I can't just make wave a magic wand and make you feel like great you know this is really like distressing and terrible but at least it's not a reflection on me I, I get that the feeling might take a while to lift but um, you did not tell your son sexual assaults not a big deal you didn't tell your son don't worry about it you told him the truth you attempted to uh, impress him with your values and he also committed rape. Um, and that's deeply, deeply distressing, but it does not mean that you failed to, uh, mold him correctly. It means that he became an adult and he chose to do something wrong. And, um, I don't know if you've talked to your other children. I don't know if you've shared with them, you know, I, I believe that he did it. I admire the woman who came forward. I'm horrified and distressed. I'm trying to figure out, um, what I can do, uh, ensure that he does not, you know, uh, become homeless right now. Um, but I am not simply just like comfortably, you know, hanging out with him, not doing anything. Um, again, uh, you don't have to force any of those conversations right now if that doesn't feel like something that you're up for. But I just, I would encourage you to share something if you haven't already with your other children about just where you stand on this one, like in terms of I believe that he's guilty and I don't know what uh, appropriate consequences would look like perfectly, but they I know that we need some um, that might be useful to them and to you. And again, this is just really huge and upsetting. It makes sense that they would be um, angry and distressed. I would encourage you to be patient and flexible with your, with your other children. Um, and again, you know, ask yourself, letter writer, and, and ask this with you know a trusted therapist potentially in the, in the context of the support group what would you need to hear from your son to feel like there is hope for him to turn his life around i don't mean turn his life around in the sense of like make things right for his victim i don't i, I don't mean flippantly but just in terms of not even to say, oh, I would feel the way about him I used to, or we would be restored to mother and son types of closeness, but just to feel like I could potentially wish him well as he continued to try to change and make amends and accept consequences. Would that be, I need to hear him say, not I made a mistake, but I committed rape. And if so, do you want to share that with him? Um, And if so, do you think that there's a way that you could safely have a conversation with him where you say, I believe that you did it, I believe that it was more than a mistake. I believe that it was wrong and I believe that it will take the rest of your life to try to transform from the kind of person that you have been until this into something better. Um, and I can't help you with all of that, but I, I wish you you know, good work along that road. Sorry, this is like very weird and also too biblical in some ways. Um, you know, is that something that you can imagine possibly saying at some point? And uh, if so, under what circumstances can you imagine yourself saying it? And if, 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 if it needs to be, um, I can't talk to him right now, I can't look him in the eye right now, I need to go somewhere else, go somewhere else, think about what you need and think about how and under what circumstances you and your husband might be able to have this conversation. But I really do think... It will be important for the two of you to say to him, especially if you've been kind of unsure or uncomfortable, for you both to say, we believe that you did it, we believe that it was wrong, and we believe that your whole life has to change. Um, Does that seem reasonable? I realize that not a lot of people plan for that kind of conversation with their adult child, so there's not a lot of like beautiful scripts
1: I mean, it's such an unknowable situation, right? I mean, you know, I'm I'm just taken by, and you know, you had mentioned this when we first started talking about it was, you know, like, it is going to be hard to find other people that share this specific experience, but you have to kind of see, seek them out and get their advice and have that conversation because it is so, there is no roadmap for this situation. I mean... A parent's job is to try to steer their children correctly, but at a certain point they become adults. And that responsibility kind of gets taken out of your hands. And, you know, you sort of have to decide how you continue going from here. Uh, And that is a really difficult decision to make that no one can make but yourself. And it must be a really difficult thing to arrive at, um, knowing that your relationship with this person is going to change probably for the rest of both of your lives. And coming to terms and accepting that, and that you know that can't be an easy decision to make, and it will be a hard decision to make, but it is probably the only one of the few ways to get through and deal with the situation with yourself and rectify your own relationship with yourself is to come to that acceptance. It is hard to not start talking biblically about this a little, but um you know it is just such um it is a very loaded and very difficult thing and it is very real and it is very pressing and it is very urgent. I'm sure it feels like immediate and overwhelming. Um, And I hope the letter writer understands that they are allowed to take a step back and assess their own needs, even if the legal system works in the background without their input or influence. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And just again, to really stress letter writer, there is no uh, moral uh, injunction upon you right now to feel any one way or another about your child. You can feel whatever you need to feel. Um, you need to behave, you know, safely and sanely, and within the remit of the law. So, you know, I can't uh, sign off on, uh, you know, attacking him or or harming him in some way. Um, but if you decide I can't live with him and I don't know how he's going to figure out where he's going to live, I will have to let him figure that out for himself. And that might feel daunting, but it's what I need. I want you to do that. Whatever happens next in your son's life, what he needs is to change. Uh, What he needs is to want to change, and what he needs is to not rape people again. And none of those are things that you can do for him, and none of those are things that he uh, he, requires—he doesn't even need you to do them. I mean, I can imagine scenarios where, where your input could be valuable if the two of you found a relationship possible, but I think there can be a kind of freedom in saying like, those things are all possible if he, if he wants them, if he is willing to reach for them. And if he is willing to say, my goal is no longer trying to minimize or downplay what I did. It's to accept the full weight of it and to change. And so you are not standing in the way of him doing any of those things. And if you just feel like, I don't love him anymore, that's okay. That's reasonable. That's understandable. You would not be the first parent in history. Um, and it would not prevent you from behaving, again, sanely, safely, legally, and in a way that could ultimately, like, respect his personhood um, and the kind of person you hope he might try to someday become. But um, just, you don't owe him a lawyer. You don't owe him a lot of excessive zeal because you feel guilty about feeling no love for him. Um, Don't feel like you have to make up for that with something else. Um, Pursue honesty for yourself and for him. And, And I think make it clear that what he needs is, you know, honesty and change. And if he can't do that and he can't move towards that, that's a pretty clear answer of, I don't believe I can be in a close relationship with you if you insist upon denying the sort of fundamental reality of what you have done.
1: And I think, you know, sort of my my final thought on this is, you know, that idea of this is a person, the son, um, that the letter writer speaking of, this is a person that needs to take responsibility for themselves in that taking responsibility for their actions and also taking responsibility for seeing to the uh, justice of their actions and taking responsibility for what comes after that and taking responsibility for themselves moving forward. Uh, and it's incumbent on, on the son to do those things and to take those actions and to be that person and, um, And, you know, it is that really has nothing to do with the parent, which is a very cut and dry way of saying it. But I keep saying this and it's just a feeling that I have in my heart. But it's just, you know, that sort of trying to duck responsibility with the peer pressure angle and all that is, you know, it is really incumbent on the, the perpetrator here to take responsibility for their actions, the consequences, in the future. And that is a thing they can only do for themselves. And the only way they will come to any sort of, you know, level of understanding and reformation for themselves is by taking that responsibility. And that's the thing they can, they can only do for themselves. And that's not a thing the letter writer can do for them, um, because that's just taking an unnecessary burden that isn't helping anybody and is in fact probably hurting both parties.
0: Yeah. And I think just my final thought there, letter writer, as you say right now that you feel horrified to learn there's a deal breaker for your motherly love. Um, You know, again, you haven't done anything directly harmful to his safety or to the safety of others. You haven't tried to cover up for him. Um, You know, paying for a lawyer is something you might eventually decide not to do, but you know, it's not as if you've like tried to keep something a secret that oughtn't to be. So I, I think that while it might not feel good I think it is actually a good thing that your love for your children is at least rooted in part on their commitment to doing good, right things, not to constant moral perfection, um, but to not committing you know, significant, massive, harmful violations of other people's right to autonomy. And so it is, I think, in some ways, a good thing that you would say, uh, my love for my children has some boundaries. And if they commit rape and then say, well, I did it, but it was just a mistake and it was really just because I thought everybody else was doing it. Um, for that to affect the love you feel for them, I think is probably healthier than you know my children right or wrong. I don't care if he did it or not. Uh, I just want him to be safe uh, from any consequences. That is not, I think, a good kind of love. And so I, I don't want you to feel like you're doing the wrong thing or the unloving thing. I think you are reacting with appropriate moral horror. At a very, very horrible thing that, again, I do. I genuinely hope that your son can go from, well, I did it, but it was a mistake and it was peer pressure, to I did it and it was wrong, to I did it and it was wrong and I want to change. Um, And I believe that he can if he chooses to. It will be difficult. Um, It will be difficult in some ways beyond imagining. But he can. Um, People sometimes, sometimes do turn away from violence and um, harm. Uh, and, and he could become one of those people if, if he chooses. So um, try to go easy on yourself. Look for support groups. Uh, again, the one that I had mentioned earlier um, is is potentially slightly outside of your exact situation, but they might have resources for other similar organizations. And there might even be some organizations for people in your son's position, um, for somebody who has uh, harmed somebody else through sexual violence um, and is committed to change. So there's there's also possible um, support for him on that front as well. I think I've rambled a lot on this one and I'm about ready to wrap it up. Do you have any final thoughts for this letter writer?
1: You know, my only final thought uh, to the letter writer as well is just to make sure to keep in mind that there is also a victim in this situation. Um, The young woman that you spoke about that has spoken up about her experience and is the reason why um, everyone is aware of uh, the rape um, that your son perpetrated. And, you know, keep, she is very much present in this scenario and needs to be considered and you know this one gives me a lot of feelings um and uh you know i just i also worry for the and think of the health and well-being and safety of the victim um and you know how to make sure that you know the victim is safe and okay uh and isn't triggered or damaged by anything that happens um i mean that's a hard thing uh, it's it's you know it is a complicated scenario uh and I just hope that letter writer knows that they don't have to put themselves um, in the line of defense of their son in order to show, um, you know, parental feelings or whatever, whatever you want to put on it. But otherwise, yeah, I think I've, I have also rambled a lot about this and it's really hard. It's a, this is a hard one. It's a hard one. Yeah. And just, just to be
0: clear just since that's sort of tangentially connected I, I want the letter writer not to contact the young woman in question yes. it doesn't sound like she's thinking about it at all um, and and is aware that that is not something that this young woman needs right now but I think you know uh, any contact from you even if it were to say something supportive would be at best distressing um, and, and whatever support she will need to get will, will have to come from people who are not related to her rapist so but uh, again I'm just throwing that out there as like a just in case it didn't seem like the letter yes. writer was, was thinking about doing that to move out from that letter uh, and, and, and just sort of more general topics. I mean, this is something that I do think about often, um, uh, you know, both in the, in terms of my own family and also families in general. And I don't think there's a world where I would ever be um, interested in, in, Uh, re-establishing a personal relationship with any of my relatives, but I can't imagine a world where one or more of them was deeply committed to change and repentance um, and to working in a different direction where I might be able to hear that and say, that's good. Um, I'm glad. I wish them well. and and in some ways, you know, my heart is with them in that work. Even even though it doesn't mean we're going to go back to the kind of relationship that we used to have, um, and I, I think that's still pretty real and meaningful. And openness to that is kind of hard won. And so, I, you know, I say all of this, and I feel like it sounds really heavy, as if like the best thing that you can kind of hope for is a sort of distant approval. But I, I do think that it would be really good if I ever got news along those lines. And it's possible. I don't think it's likely, and I'm not. Um, organizing my life to wait around for it to happen, but that would be a really good thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, if somebody is to to change, whatever that change comes from and whatever, you know, whatever personal growth somebody does, you know, it should always be in service of um, not, you know, receiving something back from someone, whether it's getting a relationship back or, or, or what have you, you know, it should, if you understand that you are acting or doing something that is harmful or damaging, whether to one person or a group of people or yourself or whatever, that need and desire to change and taking responsibility for that change needs to come because it is, you know, Um, from some sort of not moral imperative because that again sounds a little bit biblical but you know what i mean this desire to i understand that what i'm doing is harmful uh, and i need to make this change because i don't want to continue to harm people uh, and i don't want to be this person or or whatever and not um, expecting something at the other end of it Uh, and in fact knowing that you might never get you know whether it's a personal relationship or or you know a job or or whatever back you the That need to change really needs to happen um, from a place of this is a change that has to happen, and that's a really hard place to arrive at as well.
0: You were recently on Canadian television.
1: That's exciting. (laughs) I was. I was recently on Canadian. I was on Canadian news television talking about a formerly defunct and now somewhat resurfaced discount. retail store. It just feels like a very Canadian thing.
0: <laughs> I mean, if it helps, I also have a sort of folksy anecdote, which is that today on two separate occasions, like an hour apart this morning, I saw a mom holding her daughter's hand as she roller skated very slowly throughout the neighborhood. And again, I really want to stress, like it was within the same two block radius, but an hour apart. She wasn't roller skating that slowly. They were just clearly like doing a mega loop. And it was really <laughs> wonderful to just think, Wow, the project of the day is just hand holding and roller skating.
1: You know, you know, you know, sometimes do you ever like take stock of like what you did that day when you're lying in bed or like, okay, what have I what did I do today? Imagine yeah. you're lying in bed and you're like, what did I do today? We did a really great roller skating loop. Day made. Like yeah. nothing else. You know and like
0: roller skating at the pace of a walk, which I think is kind of actually difficult to do without like dragging or or pulling behind. But they managed to maintain like a pretty lovely pace and it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I love that. I mean, what an what an ideal! Like, I just feel like that's in a like a Norman Rock, Rockwell painting of like the early '90s and then the 2020s because everything old is new again.
0: I definitely remember loving roller skating as a kid, in part because I was also something of a horse kid, and roller skating felt like the closest I would ever come to being a centaur. <laughs>
1: That is extremely real. And I've never thought about that. But I had that exact same relationship to it. And I never understood why until just this moment. I'm so glad that I could help uh, find
0: that moment. Like it was never like, I never wanted to be one of those kids who would like neigh in class or be like too far of a horse kid. Like you always knew what the line was. But if you're out rollerblading and you're just kind of like half-heartedly imagining yourself running through a meadow with a mane, it's like, yeah, that'll fly.
1: No one knows there's a meadow around me. You think in your head as you're running through the schoolyard. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or, or, or roller skating on concrete. But like in my head, it's puffy clouds. What an ideal existence. I should go back to being a horse person maybe. I, I feel like you could pull that off in a heartbeat. You would be fantastic. I mean, I live in a big city now, so I feel like accessing horses is harder now than ever before. But I think, I mean, I, I could at least get halfway there and just get back into roller skating, which we did see roller skates in a store yesterday. My partner did say, I should get roller skates because I have weak ankles, uh, which is the 1st time hearing of this actual fix for, for a problem I had never considered.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Usually I feel like people say they have weak ankles to get out of ice or roller skating, but I like the idea of I have weak ankles and therefore... It is incumbent upon me to skate more often.
1: Well, you know, they've got those high back boots. They're like a Doc Martin. You don't have to walk in and get all those hard blisters. Okay, I like this idea. I
0: like this idea. What, by the way, is the defunct retail store that you were on TV discussing?
1: Yeah. So it was a store called Zellers, which was like a, uh, it was a store. I, I grew up in the Yukon, which is right next to Alaska, which is right in the middle of nowhere. Um, And we didn't have Zellers because we didn't have chain stores when I was a kid, but I'm aware of Zellers because I would occasionally see TV. And it was like, a, you know, it was a store that had a mascot and they were like, they really sold like, you know, clo- clothes and housewares to like low to mid-income families. Um, But, you know, like, especially at a time when like a big retail store, um, was really there for people that, you know, needed to be able to buy a lot of essentials and didn't have a lot of money. Uh, and so that's sort of what they're for. Uh, and then now, of course, because they've been sort of out of business for a while, um, we have this deep nostalgia for this thing. And, and you know, my point was that I made, because everybody's like, oh, Zeller's is coming back. That's great. Like, it's coming back as a pop-up in a more expensive department store. Oh, wow. And it's like, and they've also recreated a new, it's all, it's so buzzwordy. It's like, we've created a new online E commerce experience. And it's like, yes, you have Googled buzzwords and put them all into one PR blast. Um, but it also is just like, you know, the thing about nostalgia is we are remembering a past that we don't have to participate in, right? Like, it's easy to look back. I'm 40. So I can look back on the 90s and be like, yes, when I was a kid in the 90s, all that stuff feels great, because I forget the crushing ennui of everything else, or I forget how hard or bad or weird it felt, because I can, I can just remember, you know, the music and the movies and the way that Pizza Hut looked. And I can remember all those things and put myself back in a place where I feel warm and fuzzy. And those are great things to think about. It's an entirely different thing to like dig the corpse out of the ground to make it dance around like a marionette for a little while and mm-hmm. say don't you want to participate in a in a online e-commerce experience i'm and always I just, asking that question <laughs> i mean aren't we all and i just i know it's going to be this thing where it's like branded streetwear and all that and i also know uh, this a thing that i dislike strongly about myself is i'm going to see it and i'm going to think yeah, I'd wear that, and I would consider like I would at least put the sweater that has like the Zellers logo, newly made, in my cart and think I might buy this. It's a tricky. It's a tricky game. It's a real bait and switch that late stage capitalism has it done. It sounds like, like it. I can yeah. understand
0: why part of you is like, I'm just going to go back to being a horse kid. Um, <laughs> this is too much.
1: Well, that's, I kind of felt bad because they asked me to come on the news and talk about it, and they're like, "Isn't it great?" And I was like, "Let me tell you all the ways in which it's actually really bad." <laughs> See, now, like, now all I want to do, though, is ask you about your favorite horse. You know, so it's funny, the horse kid thing. Um, so uh, in, a, in a shocking twist to listeners, um, I am a trans woman. And when I was a kid, um, the first time I ever really expressed my desire to be a woman is my mom used to professionally ride horseback. Um, she did, like, um, horse shows. I, I think dressage, maybe she did. I don't <gasps> oh, quite recall. Oh, very cool. Isn't it? Like... More sports should have a dressage component. You know, like imagine like professional skateboarding that entered the Olympics. Or even roller skating dressage, as we've just been discussing. That would be incredible. I would line up. I would buy tickets. I would be there every day. Today's, we can't go out. Today's dressage day for the rollerbladers. We need to stay in. We need to watch it. Um, so I had this, my mom had all this horse riding gear and I would like wear it around the house. Uh, and my mom would ask me why I was wearing it. And I was like, cause I'm going to be a, you know, I'm going to grow up to be just like you, mom, I'm going to ride horses. And I was just, and we lived for a brief period of time before we moved to the Yukon, we lived in the middle of British Columbia and there was a lot of horses in our neighborhood. So I almost like, I couldn't name just a single horse cause I just loved horses so much. Even though we had a cat that used to try to attack them. Um, we had this cat that would like run out and claw at the heels of these horses, I guess hooves. Horses don't have weak heels; they don't need rollerblades. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think our cat got killed by a horse, which is a really dark thing to think back on. Um, sorry to everybody. I introduced a cat, and then I immediately killed it within the confines of the story. But uh, I just loved horses. You know, what's your favorite horse? I mean, I feel like now
0: I am probably getting us a little too far away from the the subject of the show, and should start to <laughs> steer us back. But um, horse I, kid, the show. I I did uh, um, grow up riding horses uh, in the Midwest, and my favorite was a, a horse named Smoky Joe. Dressage? No, not dressage. This was this was like regular, uh, slightly country suburban people in the Midwest. This wasn't like yes. the kings and queens of Tennessee or wherever they have the Kentucky Derby, <laughs> which I now realize is in Kentucky. Um, so no, but we did, you know, we did uh, we did the jumps. So that was you know that was cool but yeah that's big um, time. Yeah, Smoky Joe was great and uh, as as always I'm reminded of the vast gulf between horse girls and horse women. Like horse girls are all like really dreamy, maybe don't quite fit in at school, maybe a little bit, all right, we get it, might tape their ears because they start reading the hobbit to make them into points. And then horse women are all the most like terrifyingly practical people I've ever met and they're just like the barn cat died, get a new one. And like <laughs> What are you standing in the door for? Come in and ask a question if you have it. You left the tack dirty last time you were here. Don't do it again. Like yeah. they have no problem dealing with other people. I mean, if anything, they have a problem too far in the other direction. Zero dreaminess, and and I still can't figure out if like horse girls turn into horse women, or if horse women come from a different population entirely, and that's kind of why they have the contempt for the horse girls, or if they sort of need each other in like a weird symbiosis. I, I can never quite figure it out, but it's fascinating.
1: I think we need a MacArthur Genius Grant to really dive into this because now I am intrinsically fascinated, and we'll spend the rest of the evening not sleeping and googling how do horse girls become horse women. Well, now I feel bad. I want you to be able to sleep. I'll work on this. I promise. (laughs) I love this,
0: Nico. Thank you so so much for stopping by and being perfect. If you were my daughter, I would never criticize you. Thank you. Normal thing for me to say. I d- Thank you. Just to be clear, I don't think of you as my child in any way. I just wanted you to know. I'd be cool if I were your mom for some reason.
1: No, I'm coming to you to borrow money whenever I need it now. This is perfect. This is the exact situation I need it. Good. That's, that's what I was hoping for. Thank you <laughs> so, so much. And uh, come back soon.
0: Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music, Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with a guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com mood to find our Big Mood Little Mood listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. This is not an advice column where historically I'm like, hey, stay with your husband. Especially when it's like, well, I've been living in black and white and then I kissed a woman and now life is in glorious color like Oz. Uh, Can you make me stay in Kansas? And I'm like, no. No.
1: Yeah. The story, the wizard left. The balloon is gone. Even if your husband had behaved
0: beautifully through all of this, I would still, I think, refer you, letter writer, back to that line about it was the best I've ever felt sexually or otherwise. I felt like I finally understood music and literature, and this intimacy feels mind-blowing. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say.